Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Hello. There you are. How's everybody doing? So lovely to hear. Um, My name is Peter. That is probably obvious. As I say every time, it feels weird to introduce myself. It feels weird not to introduce myself. So if you don't know me and I haven't met you, my name is Peter. I guess I'm on the teaching team here. I did go to seminary, if that makes you feel better that the pastor's kid is preaching. It's my attempt to assuage you. It's not rampant nepotism. Um, I've been thinking about this sermon for a little while This sermon is about discipleship in the kingdom of God, and it wasn't until today, I think the Lord might have been trying to say this for a long time, but it wasn't until today that I listened to him and felt like I realized this doesn't have to be the last sermon on discipleship you hear in your life. For the last like three weeks, I've been like, I must cover all ground and answer all questions. I must bat all hatches and provide all answers. And you're welcome from the Lord that I realized about, what time is it? About 10 hours ago, that this really just has to be a nudge, that we're all kind of on this journey that's discipleship. So as we start, why don't we pray together just one more time, if you would pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make us nudgeable uh, in this time together that however far your spirit wants to move us down the path of life with God, that we'd be open to that tonight, knowing that that's probably different for all of us. And so we invite you, Spirit of the living God, to be with us as we are together. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in this year of the kingdom of God, and so quite naturally we are in a series on the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you've gotten this vibe But this opening Kingdom of God series is a little, shall we say, programmatic. There's a kind of chicken and egg relationship between kind of what you bring to the Bible when you read it and what you get out of it. Do you know what I mean by that? Like when you you show up to Scripture, and sometimes it's your own emotional stuff, or sometimes it's your kind of theological framework, when you show up, you come to the Bible already a little bit expecting something. And this, this series is a little bit less hardcore exegesis and a little bit more trying to give you a new software. Is that how that works? A new software to run on the data that is Scripture. And so if you feel a little bit like there are some programmatic methodological shifts happening, that is indeed intentional. The last couple of weeks have just been trying to introduce perhaps for the first time, depending on who you are, this idea that the center of Jesus' message is the kingdom of God. And throughout Christian history, people who love God and have thought very hard have answered that question different ways. You know, like if you asked Martin Luther, hey, Marty, what's the gospel? Martin Luther would say, oh, well, Jesus died for your sins and you were saved by faith through grace. And that was such an important and helpful thing for someone to recover, you know, in 1517. But but the, the contention, the argument, if you will, of this series is that if you asked Jesus himself, 
hey man, what's your elevator pitch in three to five words? Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is so close. And so there's this attempt to kind of reframe what it means to be people who follow Jesus in light of that, that claim that the center of Jesus' ministry is the kingdom of God is near. And if you've been listening over the last two weeks, and you have perhaps been liking the last two weeks, you may be asking yourself a question that I also find myself asking myself, which is, cool, how's all that going to become real? So like over there, there's the kingdom of God and these stories about Jesus and my father's very affable preaching style. And over here is my life and what I lay awake at night wondering about and my job that may be going well, maybe not so going well, and my relationships and my sphere of influence. And like, you know, Jesus is kicking demons out of people and performing miracles and teaching universal truth. And I feel like I'm waking up every day. And how am I supposed to close the distance between the life that I live and the kingdom Jesus preaches? And I would like to suggest to you in this sermon that the way to close that gap is called discipleship. That the distance between my life and the kingdom of God becoming real in my life has everything to do with the way in which I understand myself to be a disciple of Jesus. If you want, you could call this discipleship in a kingdom framework. So, why don't we start by defining discipleship? Seems like low-hanging fruit. Uh, discipleship, that word comes to us through four cultures, four languages. So the English disciple comes from the Latin discipulus, from the Greek, mathetes. Clearly, discipulus and mathetes are not so etymologically related, but if you ask a Latin guy, what do you call a student? He'll say, discipulus. And if you ask a Greek, he will say, mathetes. And this is all the way in which the ancient world is trying to capture this Hebrew word, talmid, or student. In our culture, students are people who sit there and are quiet and take notes to gather information so helpful as a definition of studentship for understanding what Jesus means by Talmud, Mathetes, disciple. In the ancient world, um, the relationship between a Talmud and his, almost always, except in Jesus's career, interestingly enough, the Talmud and his rabbi, his teacher, was pretty intense and was less about the teacher knowing things the student did not know. Like Dr. Yoshida in high school, he taught me physics because he knew physics and I did not know physics. I didn't want to be like Dr. Yoshida. I didn't want to drive a moped and live by myself in an apartment. All I wanted, I didn't want that, was to learn physics. But, but the relationship between Rabbi, uh, Talmud and Rabbi is a much more intense and intimate relationship. The goal of the disciple is to be like the rabbi, to do what he does, how he does it, for the reasons he does it. It's to become as much of your rabbi as humanly possible. It's like a full life form of teaching and formation. I'm stealing a lot of this, just a little plug, from the Bema podcast with Marty Solomon. If you've noticed, you're going to hear more about that in the future. You're going to hear more about that in the future. So... When, when we think disciple or student, it, it would be unhelpful if we thought about people in classrooms taking notes. But, but if you think of studentship to Jesus or apprenticeship to Jesus or discipleship to Jesus 
as this much more human-to-human life-formation relationship, you're on track. That's why when he takes a disciple, he invites them to follow him. None of my teachers in high school invited me to follow them home, and if they had, we would have been worried. But Jesus does his best work when you decide to be where he is, like all the time. And so in that way, Jesus is a fairly typical first century rabbi. He calls disciples, he walks around, he takes donations, he teaches from the Torah. But Jesus is also a remarkably atypical rabbi in a number of ways. For one, Jesus kind of calls the wrong people. So we don't need to go into all of this tonight, but the bottom line is, it took a lot to become the disciple of a rabbi. Like, truly, 1% of 1% of ancient boys ended up discipled to a rabbi. And the process was basically like by the time you were 10, you were supposed to have memorized the whole Torah. And your test to see if you could like move on to the next step was like Rabbi Akiva, I don't know, would come to town and all the boys who'd been memorizing the Torah would line up and he would start speaking a verse from the Torah in Hebrew, and then he would stop, and you had to pick up and finish the verse. And it could be any verse. There were no spark notes. And if you couldn't do that, it was like, so sorry, you will now go on to be a fisherman like your father. Whatever your dad did, you'd take his trade. And there are, it looks like, I mean, it's a little fuzzy historically, but it looks like there's three levels of this. So by the time it all washes out, and you're in your teenage years, and you're at the point where you're at the like the tip of the pinnacle of people who can be called by a rabbi, like you have memorized the whole Torah and you're deep in what's called the Mishnah and you're reading what will eventually be called the Talmud. It's really intense. Jesus' disciples, by contrast, are like fishermen or worse, tax collectors. They are people who we know have already been passed over by the selective system for being the disciple of a rabbi. Jesus calls the wrong people as a rabbi, and he also has a message that other rabbis don't have. And that message is, in my career, in my life, in my presence, the kingdom of God is drawing near. It's a fairly aggressive claim, if you think about it. Other rabbis aren't going around claiming to be the incarnation. But in those two senses, in the, in the fact that he calls odd people, and he has a unique message. Jesus is a rabbi who stands out amongst other rabbis. So maybe put it this way, discipleship to Rabbi Jesus is about learning the kingdom of God. It's about like your whole life, learning the kingdom of God. Discipleship to Jesus, discipleship is learning to live your whole life from Jesus. Okay, I've recently started working a job, which many of you know. It's not like these sermons are just life updates from Peter's, but it's helpful for this point. And I am the founding member of the communications team at Global Endowment Management. Yeah! Thank you. Now, I don't know if you caught the word founding member of the communications team at Global Endowment Management, but that's to say there is nobody but me. And the last thing I wrote was a paper on Hume's theory of tragic theater after the publishing of Douglas in 1735. And just to close that over for you, I don't know anything about finance or communications, and I am now supposed to be doing communications at a finance firm. 
Now, my sisters have jobs, or they will soon have jobs, that are sort of like the equivalent of going to school after school. So they're going to get paid, don't worry. But their job for two or three years is basically to be taught by someone more senior and scarier than them how to do you know, consulting or banking or whatever it is they end up doing day to day. It's frankly a little unclear to me. That is who I don't have at my job. They're like, Peter, former priest, for anybody can tell, why don't you come here and start to do this? And, and I have experienced a new kind of stress in life. I thought I had finished all of them. No, no, I've, I've engaged a new kind of stress in life, which is the stress of being asked to do something when there is no one there to teach you. And I am, I am somewhat burdened by the notion that a lot of us have lived a Christianity where we thought we had to do the kingdom and no one ever gave Jesus time to teach it to us. So, so maybe you heard the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. When I heard that, my second assumption is, well, I guess I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Like Jesus died for my sins and I don't want to go to the bad place, whatever that looks like. So I suppose I'll spend the next several years trying to not mess it up. And what I missed was a discipleship period where someone, dare I even say, Jesus himself, stepped in to teach me something that I didn't know. You need to learn the kingdom of God. It does not come innately. And if you think it comes innately, or you think you're supposed to have it already, you're going to spend the rest of your life experiencing a new kind of stress, which is the stress of someone expecting you to do something that no one has ever taught you. It's one of the funny graces of God, that his way needs to be learned, and so he's given us someone to teach it. Discipleship is learning to live your whole life from Jesus. My father and I have slightly differing philosophies on, on this front, which I think is helpful. My dad, in case you haven't noticed, has felt pretty strongly convicted that a helpful way to preach through the kingdom of God is to go back again and again to familiar passages of Scripture to like hear them slightly differently. I would like to do something different. I would like to go to a passage of Scripture that I think people rarely talk about and frankly might not even be about discipleship. It is, but you know, it's a joke. Um, a, a passage of Scripture that, that usually is not preached on about discipleship to try to learn something about discipleship to Jesus. So, if you feel like it, please turn to Luke chapter 12. The, the chunk of Luke chapter 12 that I kind of couldn't get out of my head over the past couple weeks is this one line in verse 32 where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That one verse happens in a larger teaching, which we will read now, and that larger teaching in the English Standard Version goes like this, Luke 12, starting in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Wild. What you will eat, nor about your body what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, 
Why are you anxious about the rest? Or consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay. Gosh, that's good. A little framing on Luke chapter 12. In, in Luke 9 verse 51, Luke said a very important thing for how we read the gospel of Luke. Luke has this verse. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is Luke 9, verse 51. Here's why that's important. Everything after Luke 9, verse 51, is a long journey of Jesus to go to the cross. So everything that happens after that, everything he teaches, such as here, is a teaching that is coming from a man who is on his way to die. This is a teaching about money, from a man who is on his way to be killed. I don't know if you kind of feel this, but this is like the first thing I see in this passage on discipleship. Discipleship is about real stuff. Like, if you are kept awake at night wondering about something, I am willing to bet that Jesus has a teaching on it. Like, do I have enough money for my life? I have a relatively small life compared to many of you. I have no children or dependents. I am left awake alone in my queen-size bed under my gravity blanket at night, wondering if I have enough money to get on, and I have a job. So if I'm worrying about it, you are definitely worrying about it. Or what about the other things we worry about, like relationships, or just the existential state of your life, or the thought that maybe you should have done more than this, or I didn't really expect my life to be this way, or this small, or this wild, or this scattered... And that's all the stuff Jesus wants to talk about. Of course, when he knows he's going to die after Luke verse 51, he gets a little bit more direct about these things. I mean, wouldn't you? And so here's Jesus' direct teaching about money, because discipleship is about real stuff. Here's a second point that I get from this passage. Discipleship is for <gasps> disciples. You'll note this. In verse 22, he said to his disciples. In verse 41 of chapter 12, at the end of this kind of teaching, Peter will ask the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, for the couple dozen disciples there, or for all? Luke is clear, and his characters are clear, that Jesus teaches some things for people and other things not for people. So if you're not a disciple of Jesus... Heaven if I know what you're going to do with your money, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, this applies. And also, for what it's worth, I know Jesus' teaching on this point can sound a little dismissive. Like, 
what if you didn't have anything to give away? Like, what if you don't have a home? Jesus knows all the couple dozen disciples around him. He knows they have stuff to give. I would not necessarily go here for Jesus' first teaching on poverty, but discipleship is for disciples. And he, he knows that. And so when he teaches his disciples, um, uh, he often has 12 of them right there. Anybody ever wondered why there are 12 disciples? Oddly random number, unless you're Jewish, in which case 12 is, anyone want to give it to me? 12, I heard it very subtly. The 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus picks 12 disciples as a symbol of this thing he's doing. He's gathering a people for himself as God gathered a people for himself in Israel. And in the same way, God gave Israel a covenant and a law and a promise to make them a unique people. Jesus is gathering disciples to make himself a new unique people. And discipleship is for them. If you're, dis if you're a disciple of Jesus, discipleship is for you. I don't know what people do with their lives who are not disciples of Jesus, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is your pathway. Here's the third thing about that, and it kind of, you know, bleeds out from the other one. Discipleship is a different way of life than you would live otherwise. Um, that funny phrase Jesus has in verse 30, for all the nations seek after these things. Do you know what that's about? So, so, in the Old Testament, there's a basic distinction amongst all human beings. There are the children of Abraham and the goyim. And goyim is the Hebrew word for countries or nations or people groups. And in the Old Testament, that's the Gentiles. This is not necessarily a positive term in every use in the Old Testament. But in Greek, it's become, it becomes ethne, from which we get the word ethnic. When, when Jesus says this, he goes, look, Everybody in the world, left to their own devices, will just go around worrying about what they'll need to keep them from dying, what they will eat and what they will wear. The nations, they obsess over those things, but that's not how it is in my kingdom, and that's not how it is for my disciples. So guess what? If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to look different from other people. You may even, blessedly, look different than former versions of yourself. Discipleship looks different. It's a different way of life. And if I'm reading this right, it is a way of life that is like almost unimaginable to me left by myself. Again, my life is small. If I was hit by the proverbial bus, no children would be on the street. No business would fall apart. No. And I'm already worrying about my life, what I will eat and what I will wear. And if I'm worrying about it, and you're worrying about it, it is worth betting that it is fairly natural to worry about it, left to your own devices. But in this teaching, Jesus has this, this view of the world that makes that natural thing not so natural. Jesus says that, that in heaven, you can store up goods for yourself. Jesus' view of God's kingdom coming to earth makes it very natural to go sell things that you were not planning on selling and giving them to people who cannot give you anything back. That's bananas. 
There is nobody. I know a lot of people who are like, I've got it settled. I've got more money than God, which admittedly might not be that much. And like, I am not worried about my life, what I will eat and what I will wear. And I will therefore set up a charitable trust to give money away to other people. That's great. But, but Jesus has a view of the world in which our very profound, often, feeling of instability is in fact not a barrier to a life that is so secure in your citizenship in heaven that you are free to give things away. I don't, I don't know how you get to that if you don't actively believe and have been convinced that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is coming to earth in such a way that you can live with the sort of freedom where you don't worry about your life. Can we all just take a second to imagine what life would be like if you did not worry about your life? This had to have been the best part of preparing for this sermon, as I professionally was encouraged to dwell on that for some time. What if when you laid down at night, this is what I do. I go, what did I do today? Did I do enough today? Did I do enough to justify what I need today? What if I don't do enough tomorrow or the next day or the next day? Oh my gosh, I'm going to die one day. I have that thought process more than once. What if instead you laid down to sleep somewhat secure in the knowledge that the Lord knows what you need? Don't worry, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What happens to your life? when you take all the time and energy you were using to white-knuckle it and you let it, you let it go and you can rest secure in this idea that God enjoys giving you the kingdom. There might be, it's a little debated, but there might be in the back of Jesus' teaching here a reference to Ezekiel 34. I know you were reading it earlier and I don't mean to bore you, but I'll just read a chunk of it for you now procedurally. Ezekiel 34 is a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel where God takes this image on himself. God says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. The, the prophet Ezekiel is showing up in Israel at a time where people with power, uh, religious power, economic power, have abused and betrayed Israel. And God says, my sheep have been scattered because someone has misshepherded them, mistreated them. And so I myself, I'm going to come and gather them back together. And gosh dang it, if that doesn't look like Jesus fulfilling that prophecy in this teaching. Jesus is the God who has come back for people who have been scattered because they have been hurt and mistreated by the people that they thought were rightfully in authority over them. I, um, I think a lot of the ways in which I white-knuckle my life are because I think I have learned the lesson that when I trusted other people, they hurt me, so if I don't advocate for myself, nobody will. But if you are able to stop worrying about your life, what you will eat and what you will wear, and you take your hands off the reins, you can hand the reins over to the God who is coming to call you back from the field in which you've been scattered. When you don't worry about your life, Jesus gets to worry about your life, what you'll eat and what you'll wear. Your heavenly Father knows 
you need these things. So instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Discipleship is an invitation to a different way of life. And that is fundamentally, and this is my last insight on this, fundamentally because discipleship in the final assessment is something God does. If you're discipled to the God who is coming to get you because you have been scattered and need to be called home, in the final assessment, your part of discipleship is pretty small. You just don't say no to it. And the more you don't say no, the more you get to see God saying yes. Discipleship isn't like moral homework where things get heavy on you. It's in fact God coming to get you and you to the best of our forgiven abilities not standing in the way. So uh, let's say you wanted to practice this this week. That seems very natural. We have come to the segment that my father has named Feed to Your Faith. Here is, here's one thing you could do that is very small. Uh, I'm part of a relatively newborn collaboration with some friends that we have called Kingdom of God Academy. Perhaps we'll regret that branding later, but at the moment, it's the best we've got. And in collaboration with City Church, we have done these 14 devotional videos and this very slick booklet, which I can take almost no credit for the design for. And if you wanted to say take another step on the journey with Jesus, you could watch those 14 videos and do the booklet. And if you really like it, drop me a line. That's something you could do. Uh, here's another thing that you could do or at least think about. If I were to sit down with you or anybody were to sit down with you and ask the question, who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? If you don't have an answer to that question, it might be helpful to get one. I'm wearing this sweater both because it's chilly outside and because I think it makes me look nice, but also because this is from someone who has discipled me very dearly. His name is David Schmidgall. I talk about him often. Dave is like the size of a genuine lumberjack, but he gave this to a pretty shady dry cleaner in D.C., and they shrunk it down to my size, so he gave it to me instead. Like, when I think who's discipling me, I think of, like, Dave Schmidgall. And I think of, like, Dick Foth, and I think of Heather Zempel, and I think of all these other names that probably don't mean anything to you, but they mean a lot to me. And when I think who I'm discipling, I think of Ethan and Ivan. Ivan and I send emails back and forth. Ethan and I talk when I'm driving, and I see him when I'm out in Seattle, and we've walked together for a couple years. And those relationships are places for me where the kingdom of God has come profoundly in relationships this is maybe one more thing you can do, and I don't mean to get inside your personal finances, but Jesus does. You could just give something away. Like, Jesus is a teacher who seems to know something that the best teachers know that you mostly learn by doing. If you want to make space for the kingdom of God to come in your life, why don't you just give something away? Sell your possessions, give them to the needy. I don't know what it is. Maybe you sell something on Facebook Marketplace and you give the money to somebody that you know needs it. Or maybe you do have a car you never use. Or maybe you've got a spare bed. Or I don't know what it is. But if you want to practice the way of Jesus or start practicing the way of Jesus, you could use that little booklet. You could try to get someone discipling you and commit to discipling somebody. And you could just give something away. 
make a bit of space. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be worried because the nations of the world seek after all those things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.